Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am doing our podcast today from my office, not our podcast studio. But I am really grateful and blessed to have Jeff Concepcion as our guest today. Jeff is the founder and CEO of Stratos Wealth Partners, one of the fastest growing financial service firms in the industry. Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm wonderful, Frank. Thank you for the invite. I'm glad to have you on here. I hear your name. I see your firm all over the place. The types of things that you're providing financial advisors in terms of operational and strategic and revenue-generating resources to advisors that want to be independent or maybe they are independent and looking to level up, looking for a better solution, I think is really a great thing that you're doing. I believe you're over north of 300 financial advisors at this point that are affiliated with Stratos in one form or another. So before we get into sort of the tactical things that I'd like to talk about today in terms of you know what it's like in this marketplace, entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, breakaways that have just left are finding themselves in a position that maybe they haven't ever been in in the last couple of years, and that is in a leadership role within their organization, even if it's one or two people. But for the listeners, can you give us some idea of, of who Stratos Wealth Partners is, right? We've heard the name, everybody sees some of the stuff that you're putting out on social media, the Evolving Advisor podcast, which is a great podcast. I was fortunate enough to be a guest on your podcast. So I thank you for that. Again, it's the Evolving Advisor podcast. It's really, it's really good. Sort of has the same purpose of, of advisor talking. That is really just to provide useful content to the advisor community, paying it forward. So I appreciate that. But give my audience a little bit of color on, on who Jeff is and what Stratos is really all about. Sure, sure. So the concept was we really wanted to put more substance behind what I would say is a grossly overused term, which is supported independence. The analogy that I've used many times is if you look at a hybrid RIA like ours and and any other, on the surface, they seem like they're the same. So much like you do in your business, we really encourage advisors to kick the tires and look under the hood. And the best description I can give you is if you look at Ford, two Ford F-150s from 100 yards away, they look identical. When you lift up the hoods, I believe that in our case, we've got an eight-cylinder diesel engine and many of the firms, not all, but most of the firms that we compete against have got a moped engine in there. And it's really kind of the substance behind it. So we talk about IT. We have 12 or 13 folks in technology now. We talk about a transitions team. There are six dedicated bodies and another seven that are fully cross-trained. So we can go up to a dozen folks to onboard large teams. And really across the enterprise, there's a lot of substance there. And the idea was to allow advisors to go and be independent where they wanted to be, but to be supported, guided, and coached where they needed to be. And that was really our base premise. Couple that with folks typically would leave a firm, maybe that they work for, but less a partner that supports them and even less so when they have ownership. So in the early days, we were making our equity available to these advisors and that's worked out extraordinarily well with just a massive, massive expansion in the value of our enterprise. So we're trying to help them become business owners, create wealth in their own business. And in the early stages, we were actually sharing some of the wealth creation in our business with those early adopters. Got it. So that's very interesting. That is 
I don't say complex, but somewhat easy and it's becoming, you were an early adopter. And I think that kind of idea and that process is, I think everybody's trying to find that solution. Everybody's trying to go down that road. What I find interesting is that a lot of these folks, you've been around just as long as I have. And I feel but like- you, you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize that with this baby face. I'm guessing you, you had a look at my resume to determine that, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you have definitely have some- I have a few years on you, maybe. I, just I don't know way. about that. Yeah. We both look great. Let's put it that way, right? You, you're certainly better dressed than I am for sure. So kudos to you on that one. But, you know, I wanted to talk about, so you basically, you're providing levels of intra- infrastructure support. It's something that I come across with our clients a lot of times is they like the idea or conceptually they like the idea of going independent and they're concerned or afraid to do it. They're hesitant to do it because maybe they're either not looking at the right firms or the firm is saying, yeah, we, we help you with stuff, but they don't really help you with stuff, right? They, they slide a piece of paper across the desk and say, here's all the equipment you should go buy, go to Best Buy and find a guy that you can you know, help set it all up. And you've created a business around, we're going to help you do all those things. We're going to do the heavy lifting for you. And then you help them stand up their firm. My question to you is a lot of these advisors were W-2, you know, spent their careers or the better part of their careers in a wirehouse W-2 kind of space where they didn't necessarily have to worry about being the in a leadership role, right? They had a manager, they had a director, they had someone that was leading the branch, leading the operations team, and they just had to worry about their corner office and maybe their one or two assistants and there was some level of leadership there, but not on, a, on an enterprise level. When you're moving these advisors today, I think the dynamic has shifted because I think that some of these advisors are struggling with this newfound responsibility. So forget about asset management, forget about working with clients, right? That's sort of the in, in the business stuff, right? What are you doing or how are you coaching newfound entrepreneurs and business owners on this other piece, right? This leadership, softer, visionary piece that they maybe haven't really dealt with before, certainly not in a, in a choppy, I'm not going to say down market, but in a choppy market where I, you know, Jamie Diamond came on yesterday and said he sees this market going down another 20%. How are you guiding your partner offices, your advisors in this area right now? It's interesting. I mean, I think every advisor who goes independent isn't necessarily an entrepreneur. So sometimes they're going to something, other times they're going away from something. And I think because an advisor becomes independent doesn't necessarily mean that they're an entrepreneur. They might aspire, and actually some don't aspire. Some just want to be a good FA and do a good job with more autonomy. That said, there's sort of a cradle-to-grave approach that we take. So the integration that exists between our transitions team, which is sort of that early life that's sort of the cradle, to the practice management team, which is sort of, you know, end of cradle to grave, we wrap our arms around every aspect of what's required. So there are many things that advisors thought about and yet many, many more that they have not. And they're on phone calls with our transitions team every single week, sometimes with their staff, going over everything that relates to their book and portability and holdings and branding and DBA and websites and stuff that they're doing now, stuff that they want to do. Real estate is a big one. What does that look like? Build out, construction, lease negotiation. So we we are part and parcel of every one of those things. And every week we go through exhaustive checklists to get them launched. Once they come on board, that transitions team is still in the lead for probably anywhere from 60 to 120 days. And that's when the heavy lifting of taking what I had 
there and bringing it here takes place. As that winds down, they don't go away. They're a liaison, but they hand off to our practice management group. And having listened to your podcast, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? That's when those conversations really start to occur. Okay, I've in large part taken what I had there and I brought it here. Now what? In some cases, it's just more of the same. They're going to enjoy the efficiency because there is still leadership, but the leadership is thoughtful and efficient. It's not what some might deem to be in a different aspect of our industry, right? The wirehouse is kind of excessive with branch managers and regional managers and complex managers. And, you know, so we have a leadership team, but that leadership team is lean and nimble. They're available, they're consultative. Frankly, the lion's share of them actually came from Wells Fargo, you know, regional vice presidents and Smith Barney complex managers and, and Morgan Stanley. So they understand that role, but there's just a much more lean, efficient approach because our goal is to give them as much of the revenue that they generate as possible while maintaining a rich resource base to support and guide them. So there's a handoff from that transition to practice management and practice management gets deeply involved, as does our field leadership team, which is frankly only, I guess it's about 10 folks that would be in, we call them managing partner managing director roles across the country, overseeing regions. And it's a combination of the managing partner and managing directors and our practice management group, which is only consulting that works with these teams as they look at what they want to be when they grow up. So I don't know if that answers specifically or at least scratches the surface, maybe. Yeah, it does. And I think where I wanted to sort of take this that string is once you have the practices on their feet and they're operating, are you having conversations maybe this is your, your leadership team, are you then having conversations about ongoing development of them as, as an individual leader, right? So I'm talking about the ones that not plugging in, you know, maybe we can plug in an advisor in, right? So someone wants to go independent, but they don't want to run the show. They just want to plug into an office. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ones that come to you and say, Jeff, I want to build something. I want to be a leader. I want to build a mini Stratos or whatever. You know, I want to build a mini firm. Are you and your team having conversations with them about what they should be doing to think ahead of what might be coming today in terms of expense management, controls, efficiencies, service models, those types of things to prepare themselves for what could be a challenging time? A lot of these advisors that I see, you know, many advisors came into this business right sort of the 08, 09, right after that. I see a lot of the tenure that around that time. And they've never really gone through something like that or 2000, 2001, like we've, we've been through. And I'm concerned that they're just not prepared. They're building a business with the idea that it always goes up like this. And it's not going to be stresses and tensions and employee issues and all that. So are you having conversations with them about those types of things? Or you are, I'm sure. What are the concerns that you're seeing? And if an advisor is listening to this right now and they're going, that's what I'm talking about. That's what's stressing me out right now. What kind of advice do you give that advisor that's going through that as a newfound business owner? Yeah, it's a really, really great question. And the answer is not only do we do it, but we do it deeply. The whole premise of my podcast is evolution from advisor to CEO. And the difference, you know, so you can go independent. And that's when I, you know, we're using the word CEO and maybe entrepreneur in a similar fashion, when someone goes independent, they're not necessarily a CEO. They're still an advisor operating in an open architecture. And the CEO mindset is kind of where we want to have discussions with them, almost 
as if we were performing the services of an architect, right? So you asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? We want to ask them, what is it that you're trying to build, right? Because if we know what that house looks like, that your dream home, it's really your dream business, you might not be able to build the whole thing today, but we've got to make sure that the piece that you build today and the additions that you put on don't look like additions. Because the day we started building it, we knew what we anticipated and wanted to vision out in the future. And that's going to be reinvestment. It's going to be staff. It's going to be services. So we're going to help them build that blueprint like an architect. And we're also going to act as a general contractor. So there are lots of pieces and parts of what they're going to build that we can build for them. And occasionally we're going to bring in specialists if we want them to have even deeper engagement than we might go in a specific area of the business. So I think those are critically important. From a financial management standpoint, I did several programs. I think the custodians, a couple of mutual fund companies, and maybe one or two lenders in our space that help advisors with M&A had me do a series. And it was basically building a ship that can endure turbulent times. What we're really talking about is building a business that in this type of economic environment or in COVID can last. And that's, again, requires a CEO mindset. And I think you'll appreciate this, Frank. So when an advisor goes independent, they don't necessarily shift how they think about economics or finance. So if they're doing a million bucks in revenue, and after they pay for RIA services and trading and technology and a sales assistant and some office space, let's just assume that they keep 700 grand. The mindset is naturally what? They pay themselves 700 grand. Well, in reality, what they ought to be doing for a whole host of reasons is paying themselves $200,000. They still made the same amount of money. Maybe they distribute $200,000 as a, a profit distribution. Right. But what they typically would not do is retain two dollars or $300,000 in retained earnings. And in doing that, they're planting seeds with this aging population we have to have capital available to buy books of business. They're having retained earnings so that when other firms struggle with one or two bad quarters of billing, They've got lots of dry powder and they can go through six quarters of bad billing because two or three years of retained earnings means that they've got a million bucks, not in their personal account, which is psychologically harder to tap, but in their business account. Right. And these are things that CEOs do. These are things that people who are entrepreneurs do. These are things that people who are thoughtful, not about who they are today or what house they live in, but what house they want to live in or what kind of business they want to run long-term. These are the types of things that they contemplate. That's probably one of the best pieces of advice that I think anyone on my over a hundred podcasts has given to my listeners. That's profound. And I think that they don't look at it that way, right? They make 700,000, they spend 700,000, maybe they save some of it personally, but they don't look at the business that way anymore. So I think that's unbelievable. Most businesses don't zero balance. They don't distribute their earnings fully, right? So if we're really operating, and think about the other thing that you're doing. A guy in my study group who I like and respect says every year, every quarter, he looks at his financials. He looks at the decisions that he makes with the anticipation that he's going to go out on the block to a PE firm next year. Am I building a story that I can tell? So when you think about 200,000 of salary and 500,000 of EBITDA, right? Even if you distribute some of that EBITDA, it's okay. You're building an earnings story. You're building a business that's got value. You're building a story that you could tell about reinvestment and services. And frankly, every year, wouldn't it be interesting if they took 30 minutes at the end of the year and chronicled what happened in the business? Because 15 years from now, when they sell, they really won't remember. 
Did they add another custodian? Did they bring on an internal marketing and social media person? Did they do X? Did they do it? Because what you're doing is you're showing the evolution and growth of a business, not a lifestyle practice. And the two are not worth the same. If you're looking to sell your firm someday and you've had a really nice growth trajectory, but you can't explain it, it's much harder for me as a buyer or any institutional buyer to say, yeah, they've grown well, but is it repeatable and how have they done it? So if they sit back in reflection in the fourth quarter of each year and for 30 minutes chronicle how that business evolved and what changed, if they're doing the same thing from a financial management standpoint, to your point, they're really acting as a CEO and an entrepreneur, not an advisor who just took a little bit more control and autonomy because they left an employee model and went independent. And I right. think there's a, stark, there's a stark difference. Yeah, I, I was just with somebody last week and you know, I, I sort of, and this is where the, the, the sort of the next evolution of our question is going to go, no pun intended, or maybe a pun intended because of, of the name of your podcast, right? Uh, the uh, Evolving Advisor podcast. But they said to me, you should be looking at your business as if you were a PE firm that just bought your business, right? And with the benefit of knowing what you know about your business, what are the things that you would change, right? Maybe who are the people that you would change? Right. What are the things that you would change if you took over today? And I thought that was really eye-opening, and I never had had someone put it to me that way before. So, you know, and we went. We were talking about leadership stuff, and we were talking about it was really this was the the working on the business. So for me, it was you know I spent the day out of the office to go meet with some folks. So that was me working on my business. So when it relates to working on your business, maybe can you? Talk to me about, and a lot of advisors that they want to build these enterprises and they want to have all these people and they want to have a management team and all of those things, right? But some of it is process and there's all sorts of books out there. There's, you know, Traction and EOS and, you know, one of my favorite books is Good to Great. And it talks about efficiencies and the right, right people in the right positions, all that kind of stuff, right? But tell me from your point of view as a leader that has done an exceptional job building organization, what is it that you're doing? with your team that you think separates, you know, separates your firm from other firms, whether it's not necessarily culturally, but, you know, some practical things that you're doing with your team. Do you, do you meet once a week? Do you meet twice a week? Do you meet five times a week? Do you meet with only a subset of people? Like, how are you actually running the company? Because I think that this is something that nobody talks to advisors about. Nobody, right? They say, we're going to give you a high payout. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to clear through this firm or that firm, and you have this, you know, these SMA managers, and you can run your money this way. Nobody talks about, but let me tell you how you need to run your company, right? So on that side of it, can you maybe give me, and this is the benefit of all of my listeners, this is a question that I'm asking him, you know, basically asking him for free advice here. How are you running your, your management team so that it becomes efficient and everybody is operating on all cylinders? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. So just I'll say whatever comes to mind first. I think the first thing is talent, right? So when I look at some of the firms that we invest in, some of the firms that are on our platform, when the advisor is all things to all people, it's really, really hard to see an enduring value there because if they're gone, you wonder how much stays in their absence, right? So I think talent is critically important. Attract good people and retain good people. Easier said than done. People have always talked about a war for talent. And I, I've said for years that it's BS. The last couple of years, it's glaringly true. It's harder to find good people, harder to keep them. It's more competitive. So I think you have to surround yourself with talent. Once we found the talent, we didn't want them to leave. So I either gave away 
or sold at a deep discount ownership interest to our early adopters and to our early advisors. That stock that was either granted or given away or sold at a deep discount is probably worth something approaching $100 million in value today. And for people who stay or who leave well, whether they retire or you know, versus going and competing, there's a lot of meaningful dollars there. So to me, that's, it was an award system to share in what we were building, but it was also a retention tool as well. So I think talent is critically important. We're in a people business. There's really, I mean, product and technology, there's not that much that's differentiating, but having exceptional people is super important. So when you find them, figure out how do you retain them? How do you keep them? How do you compensate them? And compensation is part of it. The other part of it is cultural, right? Are you loving on people? I mean, I just love the people that I'm with. And if I wasn't working, a lot of the people on our leadership team or our, our partner offices, and I mean this genuinely, I'd spend time with them in my free time. I enjoy them as human beings. So, so I think talent is super important. Structure is critically important. I am not a structured guy by nature, but the problem is, you know, when you have 20 or 30 people, you can cheat. Maybe at 40 or 50 people for what we do, you could cheat. Maybe at a couple hundred people, you can cheat. But I think we have 800 email addresses now. The business is too big and too unwieldy not to have structure. And the absence of structure is what? It's chaos. So now there are committees and processes around all types of things that we do that from an efficiency standpoint, it's almost impossible to survive without them. I think the last piece is technology. People cost a lot. So I think you have to use technology where you can and use people where you can't. So when I think about compliance, when I think about an advisor and I talk to these practices that run individual portfolios, I was just in one of our offices in Ohio, they run individual portfolios for every client. I don't know how the hell you do that with 300 households versus block trading, right? So use technology, use efficiency and use tools. So I think talent is primary. If you don't have great people, you're just not going to build something substantial. Structure and process is critically important. And my coworkers would laugh if they hear me say it because they know it's antithetic to, to my nature, but I forced myself into it because we couldn't be where we are today absent it. And then really the good use of technology, there's so many tools that make things easier and that automate. And I think if you're not incorporating those into your business, you'll either have less capacity or you'll be less profitable if you don't figure out how to incorporate and adopt you know, good technologies. Very interesting. I appreciate that. You made a comment about your, not a book group, but- Oh, study group. Study group. Study group. I'm like, study group. Okay. I'm thinking books like college. You know, for someone like you, right? I mean, I think the reason I, I believe in those types of things, but I think a lot of people don't. And, and you have to have some type of humility, I believe, to be willing to go to something like that or, or understand that you don't know everything. Tell me why your study group was important to you. And like, what was the impetus of you saying, I need something like this? I mean, yeah, don't I think all the details of what your study group is about, but oh yeah, no, no, I'm happy to, I'm happy to. So I think the key is when you run a firm, if it's a firm of five people or 805 people, I think it's lonely. It's very hard to sort of bury your soul and sort of be naked and exposed and talk about where you're struggling as opposed to what's working well. And it was challenging. I could tell you it was brutally difficult. When we started, I went for three years without a paycheck. I got fired from the firm that I was with previously. So I was sort of doing battle with them. In FINRA, we ended up winning on, on every count, and it was just a wrongful termination. It was more political than anything else. A great, great firm, and I'm grateful to them because I learned a ton while I was there. So meanwhile, I'm sort of doing battle after being dismissed you know, summarily from my old shop, working for three years without taking a paycheck here. Those are lonely damn times. you know. 
And our CFO, who I adore, is a very, very close family friend. Every month, I was writing checks for seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a month to shore up our shortfall because our goal was a really meaningful supported independence. And we were investing in staff and technology before we really had the revenues to do it. So it was three years before I took a paycheck. So when I think about those days, if I had a peer that I could just sort of expose myself to, not in an inappropriate way, by the way, but <laughs> it, would, right. it, would have, it would have been welcome. So probably maybe right around that time, three or four years into the business, a guy who, just a terrific guy, he runs a consulting firm, Advisor Growth Strategies. His name is John Fury. Wanted to put together a handful of RIAs that he felt were promising just to sort of brainstorm. I think we all sort of reluctantly showed up and we just had our 10th anniversary. And every one of these shops, by the way, and I don't think that it's necessarily happenstance, are among the 10, 15, 20 largest independent firms in the US. And there are six of us. And I think that what we learned from what we've done well and what we've learned from each other from what we've done poorly has been tremendously, tremendously helpful. I fly out tomorrow to spend 48 hours. We meet twice a year in person for about a day and a half. And I think having a study group or peers who you respect, if you can, to your point, be vulnerable and be open, not only about what's working, but where you're getting your buck kicked, it's extraordinarily helpful. Yeah, that, I don't think advisors really understand how important that is. You know, I'm part of some groups that are entrepreneur-related, not necessarily financial service-related. So sometimes it's hard to relate because you can tell them certain business things, but they don't understand our world, right? And I just find it fascinating you say that because I think that's another thing that's really needed in our space, but it takes a level of humility to understand that you don't know everything and you need help, basically, right? Hey, I need help, guys, right? I need or gals, right? And so I, I really respect that. That's why you mentioned that. And, and the gentleman I, I was meeting with last week same deal. He has mentors that he meets with. He has a group that he meets with for the same exact thing. So there's that common theme, right? Just like you said, the six groups that you're part of, there's no, it's not by accident that you are all at a certain stage of your career. So I think if you're a financial advisor and it is lonely at the top, right? I get it. You know, you, you go through periods of time, like during COVID, for instance, and, you know, and you got to make sure your people are being paid and got to make sure that you're last to get paid. I think these People have this idea of, well, I'm the entrepreneur, I'm the business owner, I get to put my feet up. And I was talking with somebody yesterday and I said, you know, when you're in a position of leadership, you work for the people that that are underneath you or re- report to you. Right? It's not the other way around. And I think that it, it does get lonely, especially when you're reinvesting. I can I can speak to that as we speak. I've been reinvesting a lot. We've grown our firm exponentially, you know, but as you know, you make investments and the, the revenue doesn't come in overnight. No, and it's interesting because it's unsettling sometimes, right? In the years where we've made our biggest investments, we brought on tons of new assets and we saw really little to no increase in our earnings. And it's very interesting. Every single time that's happened, the following year, the earnings exploded. So it's almost like you had to pay it forward, right? You plant these seeds and they're not growing as quickly as you'd like, but once the roots sort of catch, you reap the reward of that reinvestment. And it's happened. There have probably been three different times that I can think of in our brief, you know, dozen year history where we've seen that happen. So that reinvestment is so critically important. It's also fundamental to being an entrepreneur and a CEO. And again, not just extracting like a lifestyle practice would. And there's nothing wrong with extracting, but you're not going to really grow and build a firm in that way. It requires a reinvestment that you're doing, that we're doing, and that many of our partner offices were coaching to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, this has been great. I think I can have a personal conversation with you after this and really learn a lot from you. I think of a bamboo tree. I have this money tree behind me, but I always use the analogy of a bamboo tree when you have to water this thing for those people that don't understand you know, what that means is 
you know, in order for bamboo to grow, you have to water it for like five years, but you're just watering dirt for five years, right? You can't dig it up. You don't even know if it's working or not, but you have to go out every single day and you have to water the dirt. We keep saying, keep watering the dirt, keep watering the dirt. But then overnight it grows to like 60 feet or something. Right. And so that's the same analogy. It's a great analogy. Great analogy. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that was tremendous. So just the last thing again, for advisors that are listening to this podcast and candidly blown away with some of the content that you just distilled on us and myself, personally, I appreciate that. What are you looking for? What should an advisor think about when they're looking at Stratos, right, as a potential affiliation partner? So let's get serious for a second, right? There are a lot of advisors that are listening to this podcast and they're unsure of where they should go. Everybody's throwing names and firm. You should talk to that firm and this firm and that firm. Why Stratos as the destination of choice? Yeah, you know, I think rather than promoting us, I'd rather promote independence. If you ask me just briefly a couple of things that are different, I think that coaching of advisors really to become great business owners and CEOs and run profitable businesses would be one aspect. I think the second aspect is M&A. We're so deeply embedded and we have such a factory or an engine to help create activity and to help them identify activity with this shift of all the advisors that are retiring. So if they're interested in not just organic growth, but inorganic or tuck-ins, I think we're uniquely capable there. But what I'd rather say is, rather than us, as advisors contemplate independence, when you do the math, it slaps people in the face, right? So there's a chart that I developed eight or nine years ago. We still use today. We've refined it. I call it the cost of complacency. They know, they know that there's a cost of sitting at their desk. What no one has ever done is quantified it. And when you quantify that for a team and they look at the difference in cash flow and tax savings and retirement contributions, because now they've got a cash balance DB and they're putting 200 grand a year away pre-tax. And they look at the valuation metrics of independent versus an employee model, 80%, 90% of what they sell, not only being subjected to a much higher multiple, but the capital gains versus the employee model where it's all ordinary income. And you show somebody on one page and say, tell me, where am I off on any of these variables? Because I'll correct them. But the difference is eight, nine, 15, 20 million dollars. The bigger the practice is, the bigger the differential gets. And calculating that cost of complacency, I really want to give a shout out less for us and more to really understanding the power for, as you've mentioned in the past, the clients and the advisors by developing the courage to go independent. So it's really, I'd like to have more of my, my last takeaway of being a commercial for independence and not for Stratus. Well, that in and of itself is, I think, something that advisors should pay attention to. That humility is something that is really important and tells me pretty much everything I need to know about you. So I, I really, really appreciate that. For my audience, you were just given a gift of a lot of information. And I really appreciate, Jeff, you being on the show, you know, from someone that has built something, you know, again, you you were put in a position, maybe you wouldn't have put yourself in it on purpose, but then you turned that into something tremendous and Stratos Wealth Partners. So I applaud you for that. For my listeners, thank you again for joining us. This was really an unbelievable show. You can check out Jeff's podcast, which you should. I've listened to a bunch of them. They're really good. Lots of great content. The Evolving Advisor Podcast. You can get some of them on, on YouTube and on, uh, on podcast or Apple Podcast. Jeff, where do they go if they want to, aside from calling us, of course, to talk to you about affiliations, but where else can they go to, to see more information on Stratos? I think just to our website for Stratos Wealth Partners, but I think better that they reach out to you and then they'll get introduced to us and then we all win together. So 
Great. It's a win for everybody. So I appreciate it for my listeners. Thank you again. Don't forget to subscribe. And, you know, big ask, you know, paying it forward. We talk about, Jeff and I talk about paying it forward, which is why we do this. You should pay it forward. You should forward this podcast to somebody that you know that you think this would add value to for nothing other than doing the right thing and helping somebody out. So we appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you again for your time. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you so much, Frank. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.